You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, I talk with David Tamarkin, editor of Epicurious, about Cook 90, his quest to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for the entire month of January. We check in with him, see how that's going. And then I sit down with Bon Appetit food director, Carla Lolly Music, who walks me through the how-to of slow roasting. Not braising, not traditional roasting, but slow roasting, which is like magic. It's going to blow your mind, or at least it kind of blew my mind. All right, let's do this. Here's me and David Tamarkin. Tamarkin, Cook90, you're back at it. How's it going? It's going well. They, I'm in the middle of it now. Yeah, what, you're, you're at what, like Cook23 right now? Yeah, let's see. It's the, the 12th today or 13th, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's about about 30 meals, and I haven't skipped any so yet, which is good. I get three passes. I yeah. haven't used any yet, so that's I, good. Well, yeah, that's before we get into, like, how's it going this year, and I want, I want to know what you learned from your experience doing Cook90 last year. Uh, for the listeners, w- let's refresh, and for me also, um, what are the parameters you set for yourself? What are the guidelines for cooking 90 meals in one month? It's very simple, and it, by design, I don't want it to have very many rules. So it's just you cook three meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner every day, every the, the whole month of January. So you're cooking 90 meals total, but you get three meals off. That's why it's cooked 90 and not 93. <laughs> um, the only other rule really is that you can't use leftovers too many times. So I cooked a Thai curry last night. I can eat it for lunch today. I could even eat it for lunch again tomorrow, but that's it. You can only use your leftovers so many times before. Oh, you... and so is it twice or is it too many times? What is what is too many times? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's twice. You can eat your leftovers twice. What about which I know we've talked a lot about at Bon Appetit with sort of upping your desk lunch game and whatnot. Can, what if you can you make like a batch of grains on Sunday and then use those throughout the week? Absolutely. That's yeah. in fact that's the only that's the only way you can really stay sane and it's by doing that kind of thing. And we call that nextovers. Nextovers. Ooh, so instead are... of leftovers. So if you cook whenever you're cooking anything, um say you're you're making chicken thighs for your dinner that mm-hmm. night. Well you might as well put eight in the oven instead of four. You have four that night and then the other four you'd like turn into tacos the next day. That, the, that's not leftover chicken thighs because you're thinking about it beforehand. Mm. You're making nextovers. Is that is that like paying it forward? What does that phrase mean? I've never understood <laughs> the phrase pay it forward. What does I that mean? I, I, I always get annoyed by that phrase. I, I'm like, I think I know what it means. It's the opposite of pay it back. It's like, it's like don't wait for someone to do something nice for you. Uh-huh. Do it first and then uh-huh. pay it forward. All right. So you set these parameters yourself. Yeah. Um, how does then what you're doing at home manifest itself on Epicurious.com? Well, in so many ways, I mean, Cook90 really takes place mainly on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you just click on the hashtag or you what? follow Epi, the, the hashtag is Cook90. There's also another hashtag that sort of bubbled up this year called Team90, mm. where it's, people feel like they're on a team, which I think is really helping motivate people to keep going and to keep cooking. All right. So you can go to the Epicurious Instagram, Instagram page or follow. mine, David yeah. Tamarkin, or just, just search for Cook90. But have you found that there are 
teammates on Team 90 that you don't know? That I know the people at work are into it. Tons. Really? No, there are 35,000 people signed up for the Coach Shut 90 up. newsletter. So 35,000 people this year signed up to, to take the challenge. And some of them are posting every day. Some of them are just emailing me. They're not posting on Instagram. A lot of these people don't have Instagram. So they're emailing me their photos, just me personally, and saying, hey, David, this is what I cooked today. And I write back, that's great. And it is great. I mean, it's, and you would not believe some of the things I'm hearing from people. They're can we, saying, can we do the sort of thing where like one of those sort of ABC sort of, you know, TV specials where you show up at their door somewhere? In, I would love that. In your home state of Ohio. Yeah, send me and, to, yeah, send me to Ohio, send me to Omaha. Knock on the door and say, "Let's cook together. Let's cook a casserole." What do you what do you what do you think is resonating with the these uh, teammates of yours? Yeah, a couple of things. I think the fact that there are not dietary restrictions is really important here. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, so it's, yeah, so it's about cooking. It's about cooking real yes. food for yourself, right. whatever that means to you. Exactly. That's cool, but get in the kitchen, cook mm-hmm. for yourself. If you want to family eat friends, mac and cheese mm-hmm. every day, that's sort of against the Cook Ninety rules because you're supposed to. You're, you are encouraged to not cook the same thing every yeah. day, but you could cook a different mac and cheese every day, and that's fine, and that's, you know, do you. I think that we are in a space where people are being told a lot what to cook and how to cook, and that cer- certain cooking is bad, and this cooking is is better, and you should mm-hmm. be eating, you know, your chia seeds every day and not eating, you know, white bread and and uh, I think it's very refreshing for people to be like, look, cooking is hard enough, yeah. so I can just cook whatever I want, and it's and that's a good thing because I cooked it. I didn't get it from takeout. I didn't go to a restaurant. I didn't, you know. What What about do you consider, I mean, yeah, there's the phrase cooking and what that means to various people. Like if you bring to lunch one day some cured salami, a hunk of cheese, and some crackers, yeah. is that enough? I does, think, that, does that constitute as one of your nineties? Yeah, I think it's, I think that I think that particular example is walking the line. So what I say is, um, if you have taken an ingredient and transformed it somehow, so if you've taken a raw potato and you have baked that potato, mm-hmm. you've transformed it, you've cooked something, or if you've taken two or more ingredients and combined them to create something new, like peanut butter and jelly. Yes, and you've then you've cooked something or like a salad. Like I mean, you don't have to heat anything to make a salad but you're creating something new out of these ingredients so that particular example i think is cooking it's sort of walking the line like but you know earlier this week one of my most popular cook 90 posts this week has been um a lunch i made where i brought uh, a jar of tuna like i chose like oil packed some nicer tuna fancy boy can fancy boy alert (laughs) a can of white beans and i mixed in like a little like a kind of pesto sauce and ate it with crackers that was one of the most uh, powerful posts I had last week because people were really, I think they saw them. They were like, "Oh, that's so easy, and that and that counts." But let me ask you this, mm-hmm. David Tamarkin. Yeah. What if you had gone to say Citarella, like my wife does sometimes, and buys their homemade refrigerated pesto and stirred that in? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. You, did you make the pesto, or did you buy? I, it? I made. So this is a, this is not quite a pesto. It's a roasted garlic herb sauce, which which is my recipe. It's on Epicurus. And it's it's something that I think is really handy to have on hand because you can stir it into eggs. You can... What's you in know, it? Uh, well, you take a whole head of garlic and you hand roast it. Do you know about this method? This is something I learned from Rick Bayless mm. when I worked with him. Um, in a cast iron skillet, you put the cloves in with the... Peel. With the peels. It's still on. Yeah. And you kind of get it all done in 15 minutes. You kind of shake it occasionally to get all sides. And it gets all blackened, but then you peel it. It's soft and roasted. So you do that, and then you put it in a blender with... 
uh, parsley and cement and chili mm. flakes, lemon juice and olive oil, and, and it's a pastaish, yeah, herby sauce. Get some viscosity and, and yeah, yeah. I, but you I can do anything with that. You could turn that into a salad dressing, or you could put it on a steak or whatever. Pasta. So, but um, yeah, pasta. Right, just toss it. Uh, but pesto, yeah, store-bought pesto, yeah, fine, do that. Or I think that having a pesto, uh, like a hot sauce, like a harissa or something like that, um, mayonnaise, just having a, an arsenal of sauces in your fridge is one of the best ways to prepare to do something like yeah. Cook 90 or just basically to cook. Because um, I lean on that stuff all the time. When do you when do you do your big shop for the week? And do you do like try to do one shop a week or what's your policy? Yeah, I'm. so I think it's so much easier if you do do one shop a week and i think so those are two things the most crucial things for success one writing a meal plan for the week and two doing a big shop based on that meal plan so that you're prepared um all right let me ask you about that because the meal plan like so much of pulling off a project like this is logistics and planning <clears throat> you live with your boyfriend correct no i, li no. I'm, I live uh, without him Oh wow! Is this, <laughs> I don't mean to cause trouble. No, no, no. He's so, he's in Washington Heights. I'm in Brooklyn. So how often? But like, does he participate? You know what I mean? Like, say you live with someone else. Is it is it easier if that person is doing it with you? So then you're doing lunch for two and you're multiplying because it it's weird if you're doing dinner for two but lunch for one and then breakfast. For, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Yeah, break what it down, happened, Like last night. So so cooking night for me started when my boyfriend was in. He was in India. So it was just. Me, I didn't have to worry about going to his house or cooking. It was just I was just cooking for myself, and in Brooklyn, and that was easier than what's happened, say last night, where I'm at his house. I'm cooking a curry, but I'm also doing nextovers. So I'm put some butternut squash in the oven. Did you say your boyfriend lives in Washington Heights? Yes. For those who of you who do not live in New York City, Washington Heights and Brooklyn cannot be farther apart. Washington Heights yeah. is the very tip of Manhattan. Brooklyn yeah. is all the way south yeah. and east. Yeah, we live a good hour and 20 minutes apart. Yeah. Do you talk about this in couples therapy? <laughs> Not yet. We, we can get him on the phone if you want to. <laughs> I mean, start. I don't know. I just like, I, isn't half the reason you're in a relationship for just convenience sake? Like, oh, come over, go watch a movie or whatever on the sofa. Yeah. Like, I'll see you like in two hours. Yeah, it... it we definitely have to plan. So you were yeah. so you were doing next overs at his house for the week ahead. So this morning, left his house, packed up the my lunch. So, so I okay, woke up, boiled eggs for myself for breakfast, packed up the leftover curry from yesterday from last night for my lunch, and wrapped up a entire roasted butternut squash <laughs> that I'm taking home with me because to make soup tonight. So. I'm on the train with a very heavy bag of food. Like I have eggs, curry, a whole squash. What time is this? 7 a.m. Yeah. on the train. So a little before rush hour at least. So it's not that packed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's 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 my life. I'm cooking in two places. And because I have to plan ahead, if I didn't bring my lunch or if I didn't roast that squash yeah. last night, I would be screwed. Listen, I imagine Cook 90 is very satisfying and rewarding, but there must be moments like that when you're on the train with all these reps and you're like, this is ridiculous. This is a pain in the ass. Come on. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. and that's why you have the passes, but also that, and that's why you have Team 90 for support. Well, have you, have you thought about just getting a part-time boyfriend for the month of 90? Like a Brooklyn guy. <laughs> So now, now we really are getting into the, some like wading into some waters, and we, we should get them on the phone and we should discuss yeah. that. I mean, boyfriends, husbands, wives, 
they complicate everything. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 true. It's, it's all, I mean, life is so much easier yeah. if it's just you, okay? <laughs> Trust me, just a single, especially when you're cooking. And actually, that's something I've gotten a lot of feedback about. A lot of people doing Cook 90 are single people who are cooking for themselves or um, kind of empty nest households where it's mm, just two people. Yep, yep. And they're having trouble finding recipes for two. So we're yep. going to start doing some more of that at Epicurious because, you know, it is sort of um, frustrating for people who don't have households of four to always see these recipes for four and either, you know, Absolutely. cut them in half yeah. or have a lot of leftovers in your fridge and stuff like that. So. Um. Yeah. So in terms of planning, you know, obviously it's about the shopping. It's about uh, are you doing it together with someone? A um, couple of thoughts. Do you plan out dinner parties? Is dinner parties part of this so you can make a bunch of food? Or, it's a huge you know? part of it. I mean, because if you – what I found last year was that this can be very isolating, especially if you're like me and you're someone yeah. who lives by himself. So, you know, my boyfriend was around last year and we cooked together a lot. But the fact is you're still – staying home a lot of the time to to cook um and so you know you I, you know there have been a couple of times last week where i made dinner and then i went out and got a drink but i'm old like i can't stay up that late like no i, I can't you know? i'm i well that's but that's the thing that that's the next question about going out like if you live in new york city mm-hmm. and I, I imagine some other big cities and stuff like what you do is you go out people people's social lives gravitate around restaurants and bars like that's where you meet people that's where you meet friends that's mm-hmm. where you Hook up, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I got to imagine it's it's a little tough saying, oh, no, I can't go out next week because I have to be at home by myself cooking. No, I mean, th- that, that's not really, that's not the answer I give. The answer I give is I can meet you at 9 o'clock or I can meet you. I yeah, can't but, meet you no, for dinner. Are, I can go out. I don't want to meet you at 9 o'clock. I'm, like, I'm having dinner at 7.30. I can't meet you for dinner. And by 9.15, I'm going home to go to sleep. Oh, you're, you're really old. Okay, no, yes. I'm, I'm not quite that old yet. I'm like, I can meet you at 9 o'clock for a drink and stay out till like, you know, 11 or 12 and then go home. Well, I, but I, I don't know. I'm like, if I'm full and I've had my drinks and my food, like, then I'm like, I'm done. I don't need to meet Tamarkin out at post. I'm not going to like have an Amaro with you <laughs> at some. I like this image. You and I drinking Amaro at what? What do you, it's be at, like eight o'clock so you can go to bed by eight? I have to be home by 10. Wow. I prefer to be home by like 940 so I could be in bed by 10. Are you working out 10. in the morning or something? Or I worked out this morning, yeah. Okay. I, work out a couple, no, I just like, I got a kid. Like a kid, Marlon's getting up. He's waking up at 620. My alarm's going off at 645. See, again. I need my eight hours. Children, wives, boyfriends, they just ruin everything. I know. You know, think oh, about God. what you could do. We could be out God. drinking tomorrow at 1 a.m. Oh, man. You could just roll into work. You make it sound so good. I, I I can't argue with you. I'm like trying to find an argument here. I'm like, hmm. Um, all right. Logistics, logistics. All right. So um, you're going out to meet people for digestifs uh, at 9.15 p.m. You're cooking by yourself at home. On Sunday night, I just went over to someone's house and... And I and I helped them cook the meal. We yeah. we cooked together. That's so that all, still counts. That still counts because it's Everything. still homemade. You're just not having next Absolutely. overs the next day. Absol- well, yeah, you're, you're right. Or I could take. I mean, yeah. these are like my best friends, so I yeah. feel free just <laughs> taking those scallops with me. Um, what but a- I just I just it's important. Like most things count. You I mean you can really and that's what I think is really important about Cook Nine. It's a very important tenet of Cook Nine. It's that it, it it's meant to be easy it's not yeah. meant to be a bunch of rules that you have to follow it's not well, i don't know i don't know if i would say easy but i would say rewarding or satisfying that it should fulfilling it shouldn't be something that, that constricts you yes you know what about okay so in terms of next overs and planning ahead and all that sort of stuff uh what do you do about um storage sort of transporting sort of units to bring oh your God. lunch and stuff like i and i have this like 
this tiny New York City fridge and it's mm-hmm. so packed with stuff. And um, I'm using a lot of jars, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I feel so twee and Pinteresty about it. But mm. I just I have a bunch of um, empty. You're you're a pretty twee guy. Salsa. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, um, like what kind of jars? You make ball jars or weck jars or like. What? No, they're they're, jar, they're like empty peanut butter jars and empty okay. sausage jars. So they have screw-on lids. Yeah, I keep all those. Um, I would not say that. Because as we know from last week's yeah. podcast, I'm a very environmentally conscious dude, and so yeah. I don't throw things away if I don't have to. Nor should you, but I would not say like sausage jars are very Pinteresty. I'd say that's kind of janky. Oh, thank you. Okay, you're just <laughs> you're batting 100 here or batting 1,000. That was 1,000, yeah. All right, <laughs> two things, though. But like one thing about – I listen, like my wife's like, no, we shouldn't use plastic. It's bad for you, bad for the kids. Give them, give them cancer. Oh, I don't, um, I don't believe that. But one thing about plastic is it's easier to transport and it's lighter. Yeah. You don't just use like the leftover Chinese takeout containers and court containers and those sort of things. I, I have them, but yeah. but that's a lot of food for me. I, I feel like – the pint, um, pint containers, not the quart containers, you know, smaller ones. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 sure. I'm, I'm open to that. The, I just think that um, the jars are just a little more compact and they're good. It's a good amount of food for, for me for lunch. But is there any brand of explicit storage containers that you like? No, no you're not like, you're not, no. we don't have an endorsement deal like, for Cook 90. Like what? I don't like, know, like a Tupperware sort of thing, like t- Cook 90 brought to you by Tupperware. Have you thought about that? I, well, I'm sure someone in this building has thought you about that. You might want to talk to I'm Eric. I'm sure they've been Eric, somebody. Eric Gillen, executive director of uh, Epicurious, whatever Eric's title is. Um, we, can, we can make that happen. I do like a good storage container. That's what I, I'm getting I will, at. Because like, there, there are a lot of cool ones now. Like all there hipstery are, and stylish there's, and suction um, cup tops and everything. There's a very cool uh, like lunch container. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but it has um, these click-on cooling has to keep it keep really? it cold and it's a very ah. sleek gray thing and it comes with a little silverware and you just open up it and you can it's yeah I, i'll i'll tweet it or something and speaking of speaking of india like yeah it's always that kind of riff of tiffins and stuff those yeah. stackable boxes and yeah. um i like those that. are cool um have you had to have any of your teammates uh appeal to you and ask you hey is this okay is this not okay if you had to be like yeah that's i'm not so sure about that yeah the one thing that so a lot of my uh co-editors at Curious are doing cook 90 which is great solidarity and the only time i was like i don't know about this is that uh tommy warner great guy writer for Epicurious. <laughs> i think you have to preface it but great guy <laughs> great guy but he you know he did some cooking for his lunch in the Epicurious test kitchen. And I don't know, to me, like that's that's not that's not real. See, like, I was thinking about that myself. Like I'm probably like on an average month, like a cook forty six guy, maybe, or cook thirty nine. But that's pretty good. No, but see it's not really because a lot like twenty of those meals are breakfast in the BA test kitchen. Mm-hmm. I come to work in the morning and I make myself eggs or mm-hmm. avocado toast or peanut butter toast. Mm-hmm. Then I would say you know, 15 of those are lunch in the BA desk kitchen where I just kind of scavenge to see what they've got and I cobble together something. And then I make dinner a couple of nights each week. So, yeah, because to your point, so much of this is in the shopping, the planning, the mm-hmm. sort of sort of metrics, metricsing it out, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's – and as any and what's, what's interesting about this is that we're, we're speaking about this as like a project, um, you know, my mom, for instance, growing up in Wisconsin back in the 40s and stuff, like that's just 
living. Like that you would make like, three right. meals. Like mm-hmm. you would maybe now and then, even when I was a kid, like going out to dinner was, that was a unusual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was breakfast, lunch, dinner, homemade. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting how we as a country have sort of gotten away from that. And I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing just based on there are a lot of like fast casual concepts out there of restaurants that are really good and you can get good food now. And, you know, it's, it's easier and better and oftentimes more affordable than what you might make at home. Um, yeah. And what I think is really interesting about that is, it's not about eating out so much anymore. It's not, It's this is not about versus like home cooking versus eating out. I don't think people are doing one or the other. What I think has happened is that a lot of people are eating at home, but they're not cooking at home. And there's a real difference between eating at home and cooking at home. You know, whether it's you're ordering food in mm-hmm. or you're putting a, you know, Amy's microwavable Indian, you know, yeah, side yeah. paneer in the microwave or the oven, or you're getting... Uh, a meal kit, which is involves cooking. I mean, there are all these different ways that people can not cook. Yeah, and I'm and fine. Do you and 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 I understand. Believe me, you know, doing Cook Ninety, there are times when I really just do not want to cook. So I understand and 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 don't um, don't judge anybody for using any of those things. But I do think it's an important skill to have, and I do think it's important. It has all these different benefits, or all these economic and health benefits to cooking at home that we lose out on when we when we order in or when we you know put that meal in the microwave that I think doing cook 90 helps remind you of and and sort of sharpens your skills and just just keeps it out there as an option because I yeah. do think we are in f- danger of becoming a culture that loses this skill. And I know that sounds dramatic, but I do think we are moving that way. Well, David Tamarkin, thank you very much. Cook90. You can follow you on what's your... Uh, Instagram, which is just at David Tamarkin. How do you, you spell f- your last name? T-A-M-A-R-K-I-N. Okay. And then you can follow Epicurious. And uh, if you want to do that, or just, but just you know, follow the hashtag Cook90. It's interesting to see what other people are doing. All right. Thanks very much, David. Thank you. All right, that was David Tamarkin from Epicurious. And now here is Bon Appetit's Carla Lolly Music. Carla, Life in the Slow Lane Music. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Um, I'm very excited about this podcast about slow roasting, although I'm a little little skeptical also. Well, coming off of this like blizzard weekend that we just had, it was, you know, it was all about sticking something in the oven and acting like you're doing something because it's there cooking. Yeah, and I like the notion of that. I've I've had I I'm kind of scarred from a, a an ex, a quote unquote slow roasting experience years ago. And was there a dryness in the result or something? There was a <laughs> there was a toughness, a dryness, like I I this was like I don't know, like 15 years ago, I had a bunch of like guy friends, none of whom who cooked. Mm-hmm. And I was like the guy who would show up with my knives and tools and like, I'm going to cook you guys dinner. And like, you're going to watch football and it's going to be awesome. And I'm making slow roasted barbecued pork shoulder. Mm. And I stuck this big hunk of pork in there and you had like 15 like stockbroker bros right. waiting, ready for the food. And like three hours later, it's like not at all fall apart tender. Yeah. It's more like a five or six hour thing yeah. depending on how big, but with the bone in. It, I, I don't know. I just, like I said, I'm, I'm, I've sort of erased it from my memory, but it, it did not. And I, I think we literally ended up ordering Chinese food or something. Does braising feel more forgiving to you, a little safer? Yes, that's what I'm getting. So when you're braising something, as we know, you put something in a pot with a liquid of stock, wine, this and that. You put the top on, you create this like steam bath and it yeah. just luxuriates in there. Right. What we're talking about is different. And let's, so what, yeah, what are we talking about? 
Well, we're talking about is a very similar a very similar method, although it seems different, right? So with slow roasting, you have uh, hot air circulation, right? Yeah. So that's what the difference between roasting and braising being this, you know, humid, moist yes. environment. And covered. In, in, and covered. Yeah. But you can cover for mm-hmm. a slow roast, which okay. we should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, the key thing that, that kind of links these two things is that similar cuts will behave similarly, right? Yeah, so let's go through some of those. So let's starting off with the cuts, the cuts, Most important. you want a fatty cut. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tough cut, you mm-hmm. know, so people talk about braising, they talk about brisket and uh, short ribs or- Lamb shank. Lamb shank, some things like that. The thing that is unique about those cuts that makes them good for both braising and slow roasting is that they have a good amount of fat. They're of a good size. Intramuscular fat. Intramuscular fat. And yeah. not only that, I wasn't going to drop the C word collagen so mm. early in the in the cast, but um, that's another key thing. Collagen is the um, kind of connective. It's not exactly tissue, but it is. it shares a property with fat, which is that when it is cooked properly into the right moment, it will melt and dissolve. So if you've ever had osobuco or short ribs, oh, that's a sort of, you know, again, gelatinous mm, can be a yeah. beautiful word yes. if you're into yeah, it. It's, and a pod, it's a food podcast. So yes, it's all about melting the fat. Yeah. It's all about um, cooking the proteins gently until they kind of dissolve. Can I, can I say unctuous? Uh, you can. <laughs> I don't use that word, though. Wait, wait. You said, but you don't have to have tough cuts. So what are, what are cuts that you would say well, are fatty cuts but not tough? Fishes work in this yes. scenario. Such so, as what, what types of well, fish? Well, that's what I was going to say. So a fattier fish, like an oilier fish, which again, doesn't have to be a bad thing. Salmon, sable. We did a really mm, beautiful yes. recipe with um, sable. Also known if you go to Nobu as black cod. Correct. Which is that's famous the, the world round yeah, for that miso, that miso black cod. Yeah. Um, that's a very forgiving fish. Cod and halibut also are firm fleshed, but they're... It's really hard to overcook them. Um, it's interesting that black cod, like the, um, and also when you see it with salmon, it's the the sort of the, there's like these like, uh, God, how, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the the sort of the, uh, this is hard to describe. What are the, like the, the sort of the planks of, of, of meat that are mm-hmm. then separated by a little bit of fat and they kind of slide apart. Totally. Once you cook them slowly and softly with, with that black cod at, at, at Nobu or Yeah, the, they're like firm salmon. fleshed and sort of like, they fall apart in chunks yes. as a part as opposed to flakes. Exactly. Like trout is like flaky. Ugh, trout. Ugh, trout. Pshaw. Pshaw trout. <laughs> and the good thing about, you know, including fish in in your thinking about slow roasting and also chicken, which is another another recipe that you and I have both made. Um you don't have to use four or five or six hours when you are doing fish. Uh, like salmon, it's mm, 35 yes. or 40 minutes, yes. but it's still a slow cooked method that then holds really well. So you would be surprised. They're great choices for dinner parties. All right. So we've picked our our cut, whether that could be a short rib or mm-hmm. it could be a you big side a of salmon or you brisket. Your sh- pork shoulders. Um, then next step, What's what about the, the cooking vessel? I mean, a Dutch oven works great. You know, you want something that conducts heat well, but you could also use a cast iron pan, really. If it's big enough. If it's big enough. I yeah. mean, I would do a chicken in a cast you iron pan. Something with a heavy bottom, sturdy, yeah. conducts heat. Okay, so you got you got your big sturdy pot. Yes. You've got your 
cut of meat, yeah. whether it's a meat or fish. My question, next question, I have questions about yeah, this. Yeah, this is great. Um, how low can you go when it comes to temperature? That how is low a great, should you go? How much time do you have is I, really the question. I don't know. If it's a I Sunday, have, I might have all day. I have done um, both pork shoulder and duck legs at 225 and wow. gone to bed. Really? Yeah. Uncovered or covered? Um, uncovered. Wow. No, the duck was covered. Okay. The pork the pork shoulder was not covered. But I would say safely, I wouldn't really go below 275 because it just takes forever for something to happen. Yeah. So I would say you stay in the 275 to 325 range. Because you're talking about having that collagen break down, the connective tissue, yeah. the intramuscular fat. You, there you needs need some to be heat. some heat yeah. for this magic of alchemy yeah. and chemistry to happen. Talk to me about sort of Give me a therapy session on <laughs> on pork shoulder. What I did wrong um, with something like you mentioned bosom before we started the podcast. Yeah. Which is the uh, explain bosom if well, anyone doesn't Bo- know it. Bosom is like the now made famous by David Chang at Momofuku. Uh, uh, salt and sugar cured, and then pork slow shoulder. roasted pork shoulder until, and I think the his the original recipe says until it collapses. Bone in, bone usually. in, yeah. And, 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 with, and we're, we are not braising that. We're just slow roasting yeah, it. Yeah, that's five or six hours. Covered or uncovered? It's uncovered. Really? It's on a tray. So I was just impatient back in 1997. I think you probably, it probably, well, I don't know. What temperature? Do you remember where you were with temp? I remember I was at some crappy apartment in Murray Hill. Yeah. Um, I probably had a temperature too high, maybe not enough fat. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, because wasn't, didn't go long shoulder, enough. Because pork shoulder, this is sort of a new thing to me. Can be delicious, not cooked to the falling apart stage. No, but stop, stop. It's true. No, stop. We've run these recipes. I know, but those recipes are dumb. I think they're delicious. Those ones where you slice it. I always wanted. I want to just. Yeah, I wanted. Like, I want to be able to reach my hand in there and just pull off a chunk. That's fine. So you want to slow roast it? Yes, I want to really slow roast it. So a pork shoulder or short ribs. I've done both of these really successfully lately. You. You have to give it time. So so if you do, this is, I believe that the pork shoulder steaks are good. So that's like a quick cooking method before the proteins really seize mm. up. The middle part is going to be tough and chewy and dry and not delicious. And then at the end, it will be transformed into something that totally falls apart. And you can take a pair of tongs and just get in there. Oh, wait, you're, oh you're talking the pork shoulder doing a, cooking them like steaks. Yeah. Not just like a medium roast. No. Sort. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's Mm-mm. what I'm talking about. All right, yeah. So, um, all right, so, yeah, so the chain one, so you, you, you cure it with the salt and sugar. We also have one, uh, a slow roasted glazed pork shoulder um, from Mark Vetri. Great recipe. Uh, which is kind of, is that kind of like an Italian version of the Sort of, yeah. I mean, it's got, this is, all right. So you wanted to say, like, where do we start and where do we end with this yeah. thing? Thank you. So I would take any cut of meat that you are going to do this preparation mm. with. You want to season it really aggressively, as always, but big cuts of meat even more, right? So salt and pepper, and then start thinking about what spices you like. I yeah. like I like to add some spice so that when it's hanging out in the oven for so long, you do get some texture, and you have the advantage of being at a relatively low heat, so you don't have to worry about those spices burning. So mm, things that I always go for, which which happens if you pan roast something yeah, at high heat, right. those those ground spices totally can turn acrid. Especially almost. if you have a dry rub that has sugar in it, which yeah. the bosom is like fifty percent salt and sugar, and you brush it off, but you don't even rinse it. Um, so I like things a lot like fennel, 
crack coriander seeds, um, cumin seed. Uh, yesterday I did a pork shoulder. I put a lot of sumac on it, which has mm. like a really. And you will grind up these these herbs. I mean, spices either mortar and pestle yeah. or a spice grinder. Yeah. And rub and give it all them over some there. Wax. Yeah. Rub it all over. Give it some wax? What? You know, with a, you can oh, oh, just whack. use whack. Not like beeswax. No, sir. No, I don't know. You said <laughs> wax. <laughs> Give him a few wax. Um, and then a little olive oil, but other things like um, a little bit of miso paste, olive oil. You, If you have, you know, sriracha or gochujang or mustard or like yep. even condiments like that, just... They kind of they add flavor and they they get all yummy and crunchy and caramelized. And I like the fact that they don't burn. Like sometimes when you do that with like rack of lamb, like a mustard coated mm-hmm. rack of lamb, with they're they want you to pan roast it first, and that stuff can get all weird and burnt and crusty. Yeah. Sorry. So this hangs out in the oven. Um, do you, how long typically? I imagine do you want to let those spices and herbs and whatnot sort of hang out with the meat for a while before you put it in the oven? Ideally, yes. Yes. But that's why sometimes I end up doing these braises at night the day before because I'll I'll buy them in the morning, season them, kind of let them sit all day, and then stick it in the oven at night. We have, um, all right, so there's also, we have a great recipe. Um, we have the slow roasted glazed pork shoulder by Mark Vetri online at bonapete.com. We also have a slow cooked short ribs with gremolata from... Uh, Jolina restaurant in LA um, by Travis uh, Lett, the chef. Um, I've, like I said, I've never not braised short ribs. So this one, we're just put seasoning the short ribs, putting them in a on a roasting pan, and just sticking yep. them in the oven. This is an amazing uh, recipe that really like changed my whole thinking about short ribs. So. This one you put on a rim baking sheet. And like I said, this one actually you cover with foil. So okay. just because it's slow roasting doesn't mean you you can't cover it. But there's not liquid? No, but it will create steam. steam. The juices themselves will get in there and mingle. And it will be a moist environment, yeah. even though it's not. <laughs> don't, don't say moist environment. <laughs> it will be, uh, well, that's what. That te- that cooking technique is a wet cooking technique, right? So just because it, you didn't That's add, better. okay, just because you don't add liquid to come halfway up the mm-hmm. side of the protein that you're yeah. cooking doesn't mean that it's going to be dry as bone in there. No, well, you know what I like about this whole thing, slow roasting thing you're talking about. <laughs> um, when you're braising, it's like, oh wait, I need to go buy wine. I didn't buy wine. I don't have wine for my braising. Right. But then like. Oh, I, oh, I, I thought use... I had chicken stock in the yeah. freezer, but I don't. Now, now I got to go buy a box of that chicken stock, but I'm only use half of it. You're like, no, you don't need you don't need that stuff. You don't stuff. need that stuff. In fact, like, yeah, a splash of water is really all you need. Um, um so the but the the other thing, so we talked about browning. With a braise, you brown your meat first, yes. right? You get a nice sear on that, yep. you put it in, you deglaze, mm. and you add the wine, and then you add your liquid, and then you put the meat back in, and then you put the lid on. Slow roasting is like the opposite. So you season it. And you put it in the oven, and it is very low heat. It's not taking on a lot of browning, but it's all happening inside. And in a few of these recipes, you want to brown at the end. So just yes. because you slow roast it again doesn't mean that you're sacrificing a sear or crispy bits or any of that like lacquered finish. Um, so the slow the slow cook short ribs with gramolata from Travis at the end when they're super super tender, you just stick them under the broiler. Which is an awesome thing to adapt in the summer. So slow roasting, again, I really like as a grilling technique, Ooh. right? I'm not a big green egg person. I don't yep. have a smoker. But I will start stuff in the oven like our best ever 
ribs, BA's ribs, and then the actual grilling of the meat is just crisping it up and getting a good sear. Yeah, and maybe throwing a little sauce on there, a little glaze yeah, at the end. Exactly. But yeah, you, and you can do that with with, with spare ribs. You can also do the short ribs. So this slow roasted, the glazed pork yep. shoulder from Mark Vetri, same thing. You yep. cook it low and slow until it's like you know that your internal temperature is good, it's falling apart, and then you just crank the oven at the last minute to get a little browning. But he also did, he also does a little sort of glaze thing at the yeah. end to sort of like sort of shellac. Exactly. And the bosom as well. Um, I've never really had to do this, but there's a little sugar, like a sugar thing that you do at the very end and put it under the broiler to get like crackling. Yeah, basically. we've talked about this. I'm a huge proponent of the broiler. Like yeah. I will broil well, everything at the end. Well, that's what you do with fotisserie chicken. You've well, told me this. Let's talk about this. So two of your recipes are my on my Hall of Fame. The, oh, wow. Your fotisserie chicken, F-A-U-X hyphen tisserie chicken on the uh, bonapetit.com website. Get it, guys? And then, yeah, tisserie. and then also your uh, your duck leg one, the the confit, quick confit or easy confit. Um, the fotisserie, so wh- what I love about this is like, I don't want to say <laughs> I think a lot of, I do want to say this actually. You know what? Screw it. Um, I think a lot of people's roast chicken is overrated. Okay. It's like, it they they don't let it rest long enough. Like It's like the, the breast meat is piping hot. The the meat on the legs is always not quite done enough, and it's a little pulley, and there's weird like strands, and like you're like, oh, this is kind of gross, and it's just like. But the rotisserie chicken, which you do, um, cooks for hours, and what it comes out it like is one of those rotisserie chickens you get at the corner store yeah. for eleven dollars, and yours is like just fall apart, tender, and you're pulling off the bone, and it's incredibly seasoned, um, and it's basically nothing more than like I said, you talked about some of those. Spices you like, like fennel and whatnot, and yeah. some herbs. And you just rub it all over there, throw it in the oven, and go to the park. Come back four hours later. Pretty much. How many hours? Three ish. It's like three ish. Yeah. And the way Depends that you on test, the, size the way the that bird. you kind of know when it's ready, it does get really nice color on it. But mm, the legs, yeah, no? no. Well, this is why you're a broiler proponent, but which I like. I think it's good. It's browning. It's not it's like a, it also. Listen. It doesn't have you know like super crispy cut into it and it sounds like glass yes. skin. No, no, but it depends on well, a couple of things. Like a it depends on what kind of what how your oven operates, where the the rack is, is the lower or higher. Um, but the point is, after three or so hours, the chicken's falling apart. You, yeah. you tug on the leg. That's it's what I was gonna say. Com- about to come off. Right. Um, if it's not looking as burnished and sort of you know amber or whatever, or as you like. Throw another broiler for a little bit. Keep your eye on it. What I also like about this recipe is you're slow roasting the chicken on a bed of potatoes. Correct. That are sort of catching all the drippings, the seasoned spice drippings. Um, that also, when I when sometimes what I'll do, I'll give the little broil on the chicken, take it out, and then leave the potatoes under the broiler for another few minutes so they can get crisped up. I think this of. is an excellent adaptation of yeah. this recipe. One, oh, one, one issue with the recipe, though. <laughs> Let's hear it. Because like I said, I've made this several times, and I, and I love it. And I love the, 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 and the potatoes, like I said, against the, they sort of luxuriate in the juices of the chicken, and then you broil them. They get crispy. The chicken fall apart tender. And it's also one of those things you can, like, let it go all afternoon. Then you can let it sit on a cutting board for 45 minutes. When totally. you're ready to eat, you're ready to eat. Um, it's spicy. There's a lot of spice in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe a tad more than I like. Well then, you know, you've I, adapted these other elements, and I feel that you should just take charge on that too. Well, that's the thing with the recipe. If you're not a spicy person, don't put as much. Don't listen to us. Listen yeah. to yourself. You I know? think also if you're a spicy person and you're reading the recipe and you're like, "Ooh, that sounds like a lot of spice," but I don't know. I don't like spice. I'll do it anyway. No, yeah. trust your gut. Exactly. You know? L- literally. 
Literally. Literally your gut. Um, okay, so you got this beautiful fall-apart tender meat, whether it's a short rib, whether it's a pork shoulder, chicken. Um, let's talk gremolata, because I love the notion of gremolata yeah. and like what that literally means and what that figuratively could mean. Right. So literally, gremolata is a condiment that's traditionally served with um, osobuco, and it is a combination of raw garlic and citrus zest and chopped herbs, usually parsley. Yeah. And the purpose of it is and to— all finely minced. All finely minced together like they were meant to be together from the beginning. And that um, is added at the very end. So you sprinkle that over, like maybe just over the marrow or onto the osobuco. And the point of it— When, when it's out of the oven and ready to serve. Si, senor. It's yes. got to be done. Yes, I this is a garnish. It's a that, condiment. That was not Italian. That was Spanish. <laughs> It sounded Spanish. But that's okay. It's, it's very more about just communicating. Signore? Uh, yeah. yeah. Anywho, so the purpose of that is to add uh, brightness and a sharpness and uh, even like a little bit of bitterness to counteract that sweet, sort of delicious, falling apart, tender. Cooked down, reduced. You know, yeah. and also the flavor of that kind of protein is just like, it doesn't have a lot of brightness in the braise. Gremolata usually doesn't have a ton of texture, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like oh, the yeah, herbs yeah, yeah. and the there's, there's zest. No, there's that's, no crunch. That's soft. So in the, um, giving Travis a lot of love, in the the slow roasted um, short ribs with gremolata that he did, I feel like there was, that would be Travis, oh, there's, yeah. Travis let. There's breadcrumbs and horseradish, which I really like. Fresh, fresh horseradish. Yes. Yes, which you see a lot at restaurants, which I love when you go to, especially with short ribs, they'll grate, like with a microplane, grate some fresh horseradish over the short yeah. ribs. The fresh breadcrumbs I love because they, they have crunch. Right. So that I thought was really nice, like sort of taking all those same ideas, but adding a little crunch factor, yeah. uh, which is really good. I like raw, crunchy, acidic things. Let's, which, which leads me to my next question. What are you serving with these unctuous meats? Um, I like... Fresh, crunchy <laughs> yes. salads, things. acidic yeah. things. So last night I made this pork shoulder, this slow roasted pork shoulder that I made it. I made it up. I would change a few things the next time I do it. Um, but it was really successful. It only took maybe two and a half or three hours. It was kind of a half pork shoulder. Okay. And served that with a salad of um, a green tart apple and fennel shaved. Mm. Gave this to husband, sous chef. Best sous chef in 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 Brooklyn. This guy, really? you trust him? <laughs> I do trust him with a mandolin. Okay, but it was pretty funny. I gave him the apple and the fennel and a lemon, and I was like, "You could just make a quick shave salad with this." And he was like, "Okay." So he looks at it and he's like, gets out the mandolin. He knows that that's needed, and then he turns. And he's like, "I'm just checking." So on the lemon, what am I doing with this? <laughs> You're not shaving <laughs> like, that. The lemons for the dressing. He's like, "Got it," um, and it was delicious. Did you throw any? Flat leaf parsley. In I there. didn't because Leo, my thirteen-year-old son, does not care for parsley, and I was trying to get the little guy to eat it. But I would have. My, my nine-year-old son does not care for vegetables. Period. <laughs> so at least, at least he. Yeah. If I had had uh, grown-ups, you know, yeah. who like if you don't eat it, if you don't like it, you eat it anyway. Yeah. Because to not do so would be rude. I would have put um, some almonds, and I would have put some. Some Ooh, yes. parsley or quickly uh, toasted almonds, perhaps, or even mint. You know, would mint. be nice. Oh, I love yeah. mint. Yeah. Um, and I would have put chili flake too, but that's yes. fine. The apple that and fennel perfect. with the lemon and the olive oil and the salt was great. And it was really nice to have something cold and crunchy for the shreddy. Yeah. 
Um, I, that type pork. of I love that type of salad. Um, whether it's fennel, a lot of times I'll do this the same thing with uh, with celery, mm-hmm. celery and toasted almonds and parsley and whatnot. Like cabbage, I saw cabbage some savoy cabbage, yeah. um, some napa cabbage. You can make just like yeah. a really quick slaw. And you want, um, and I think for these types of salads, and I think most salads personally, but um, when you're making a vinaigrette with say lemon juice and olive oil, or I, I love to use rice wine vinegar. Um, they always tell you like in cooking school, like the classic French ratio is three parts olive oil to one part acid, which I think is insane. I kind of do the opposite. Yeah. Like I want it really acidic. Right. Lot, lots of vinegar and lemon juice and just a little bit of olive oil. Yeah, I would say you might not even need the olive. If your plan is to serve these on the plate together mm-hmm. and to encourage everything to be eaten in one bite, I think the fattiness and the richness of the meat with a fork full of salad, you might not even yeah. miss, no, exactly. miss the olive oil. All right. Um, did you serve a starch with this meal, or or was this like healthy-ish we Sunday, Carla? We had some um, corn tortillas. Interesting. I had a lot going on yesterday. Yeah. I was also at the same time making meatballs and sauce. And, Why? Uh, it was one of those things where I did a big grocery shop. I mm. hadn't like done that in a while. Making me feel guilty because I did none of this yesterday well, except watch, watch football. You had football to watch. Yeah. Um, and then... I get home and immediately this like panic sets in because when you're in the grocery store, if you're me, you're walking around going like, oh, I could make that with that and I'll make this with this and then, and then we'll like, do that well, with that. When and am then I you get home it? and it's like, oh, I, I actually like work every day and like That's starting problem, tomorrow. Like, I'm not getting home till 730 every <laughs> yeah. night and I'm not going to start braising something at nine. Right. So I basically came home from the grocery store and got the meatballs going the pork shoulder in the oven, and then I also made a really big batch of beef broth so that... Jesus. I know. God, I feel bad. Um, Were they good corn tortillas at least? Yeah, they were. And I have leftovers. So that was the whole... The payoff is really like there's leftover pork, there's meatballs in the freezer. It was just a whole... What a great day. That's that's the best thing about cooking in the winter, whether you're slow roasting or braising, is that you sort of take your time. The house smells great. You got leftovers. You feel like you did something, even though you basically were inside all day. Yeah. Yeah. It gets dark at 4.15. Yeah, we're looking at the oven and smelling. Um, (laughs) Well, Cara, you made me really, really hungry. Thanks for coming on. Any any parting parting thoughts? You know, take it slow. Yeah. Just take it slow. Take it slow. (laughs) Carl Music, thanks much. Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.